Well, good morning, Coastal. How you guys doing this morning? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us as we're continuing a series called Ever Wonder. We've been in over the last couple weeks. Uh, you know, this week I was thinking about some, some really distinct moments of my life. I have some memories from my childhood that like stand out above other memories. All of us I probably have that kind of thing. Two in particular, they're right around the same time frame, same period of time. Uh, one was when I was in the second grade. Uh, I played Little League Baseball, and we were in the championship game uh, in Sarasota, Florida. It's kind of where I, I grew up a lot of my childhood, between there and Fort Myers. And, uh, and so we, I was playing Little League Baseball. We're in the championship game. It's in the bottom of the ninth. We're down by a run. We have a runner on first base. I'm up to bat. It's like the ultimate childhood scenario, you know, that you always dream about. He comes up to bat in the bottom of the ninth. Yeah, it's like all of that combined. I, I come up. The pitcher throws the first pitch, I swing, and uh, I become the first kid in the history of that age bracket in uh, Little League Baseball in Sarasota to not only hit a home run, but an opposite field home run to win the game. I, I remember running around the bases, you know, with my arms in the air, you know, just jumping up and down. Everybody in the stands, like all six of them are going crazy. <laughs> You know, for, for us, I remember getting to home plate and jumping on home plate and all my teammates, you know, slamming my helmet on my head. And, man, it's just like one of those great, great childhood memories. And, uh, like, I was on top of the world. It was incredible. Then the very next year, my parents got a divorce, and my dad moved to Fort Myers, and I went to go live with my dad. And so I, I started, it became baseball season, and so he signed me up for Little League there, except for now, I wasn't kind of the oldest in my age group. I was now the youngest. I'd moved up. I was in third grade. And now I was playing with fifth and sixth graders. And instead of being one of the best baseball players out there, I actually was one of the worst. And so if I, if I wasn't Ronnie Pond on the bench, I sometimes got to play like right field for like the worst person there. And uh, I remember, man, it was miserable. Like I hated every moment of it. And I remember going to my dad at one point in the, in the middle of the season and just going, Dad, I want to quit that I want to quit. And my dad was like, we're not quitters. We don't quit in our family. And, and so every day I would just be like, dad, I want to quit baseball. I don't want to go to practice. I don't want to go to games. I don't want to do any of this. Can I quit? Can I quit? Can I quit? Can I quit? Finally, my dad looked at me. I just like annoyed him so much. He says, listen, you can quit if you want, but you have to go tell your coach you're quitting. And so I walked up my coach and I'm like, peace out. I'm gone. You know, I was like, I didn't probably didn't say it like that, but that's how I felt. Uh, and I quit. And I was thinking about that because believe it or not, that is one of those moments that I regret the most in my life. I hate quitting with a passion. And it still bothers me to this day that I quit something. Listen to this, man. I let something that happened to me I let it to start to affect me internally, something that I thought was bad, and all of a sudden, it jacked me up inside, and then I started making decisions based on what was happening inside of me, and I quit, and I gave up. It's bothered me. And I don't think that I'm the only one that knows this experience, because I think that many of us have some seasons, have some things in our lives that we have wanted to give up, where we've kind of got to the bottom of the barrel 
where we are just tired and we're just worn out and we're just ready to check out in life. And when bad things happen to us, the question is, is do we allow those bad things to happen in us? That's really the big question is, when bad things happen to us, do we allow those things to do something inside of us? And some of you, you're, you're, you're here right now, and you know what it's like to, to hit those moments where you want to give up. Maybe you're at work right now, and, and you've had a great relationship with your boss, but your boss has moved on, and all of a sudden you've got a new supervisor or a new manager or a new boss, and all of a sudden that relation, relational equity that you had is no longer there, and it's brutal, and you're at the bottom, and you're starting over again. You're like, man, I just, I just want to quit. I just want to go find a new job. Maybe you're a parent in here, and if you've been a parent for any length of time, like say three months like me, you're tired, aren't you? Like you haven't had sleep in three months, and not only have you not had sleep, but it looks like a natural disaster went through your house every single day. And you're tired, and you're worn out, and you're like, I just want to quit. Can somebody please take this child for me? And you love them, but you want to give up. Maybe you're in here, and I'll talk to a lot of people like this. You're, you're a blended family, and you've got your kids, and you love your kids, and then you've got your stepkids, and you're taking them on as your new kids, but every day is a challenge, isn't it? And it's like you're starting over daily, and you're like, man, I just want to give up. I feel like I'm at the bottom again. And there's new dynamics all the time. So if you're here today, and you're at a season, or you feel like you want to give up, I want to encourage you today. Because there is another way. And we're going to learn today that we can rise up when we want to give up. And the way that we rise up in those seasons when we want to give up is through the power of Christ working within us. And there is a principle that we're going to see out of Joseph's life who we've been studying over the last couple of weeks. In fact, it's kind of the big idea today that I think is very, very critical to us. And it's this, what happens in you is more important than what happens to you. What happens inside of you is more important than what happens uh, around you in, in life. In other words, the work that God is doing within your heart and in your life is way more important than your external circumstances. A lot of us are allowing our external circumstances to impact our internal reality. And God does not want to do that. He's wanting to do something supernatural inside of us if we can learn to realize that what happens outside of us doesn't have to impact inside of us. There is another way. There is a different way to live. And so we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 39. We're going to be studying the life of Joseph. We were introduced to Joseph two weeks ago. He's a 17-year-old boy. He is his father's favorite child. He's actually the youngest uh, uh, of his brothers at this point. He was born to his father in his old age. And so his dad shows him favoritism. Not only does he show him favoritism uh, just with his words and, and affection, but he actually gives him things that he doesn't give to his other brothers and weird family dynamics. So his brothers, which he has many of them, they actually begin to hate him. Not only do they hate him, but Joseph has some dreams. And back in those days, dreams were significant because people saw that as God speaking to him, they really believe God spoke to you through dreams. And so Joseph has dreams and he goes on and pours salt onto the wounds of his brother's kind of tension within them and says, hey, listen, you all are going to bow down to me one day. He doesn't endear them to himself. So they hate him even more. And last week we saw that his brother saw him coming off in a distance, decided to beat him up, throw him into a pit, and sell him off into slavery. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story today in Genesis chapter 39, if you want to follow along, starting in verse 1. It says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt, 
by the Ishmaelite traders. He was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. So, so Joseph is a full-blown slave at this point in his life. It says, Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, I just want you to sit with that for a moment. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph's life has been flipped upside down. He's now a slave. He had been sold to a master. And the Bible still distinctly says that the Lord was with Joseph. Maybe your life is hard right now. Maybe you're going through some difficult circumstances in your life. Maybe there are some things that are unexplainable. Maybe it is crazy, lunatic, nuts in your life right now. That does not mean that God has abandoned you. In fact, I would tell you that even in the midst of that lunacy, God is with you. It says the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Now, you got to imagine that Joseph wanted to quit. you got to imagine that in this circumstance, Joseph wanted to throw in the towel. you got to imagine that Joseph was, was there most days saying to himself, man, I started at the top and now I'm at the bottom. I mean, I was my father's favorite and now I'm a slave in an Egyptian household. Man, I had a dream. I had a future. This is not how I thought it was going to go. Man, I want to give up. But somehow, Joseph rises up in that situation. And today I believe that we can learn how to rise up when we want to give up. And Joseph's life teaches us some principles of that. And so if you're taking notes, the first one is this. Number one, don't play the blame game. Don't play the blame game in your life. And we are notorious as a society for blaming other people, aren't we? Everywhere you look. It's somebody else's fault. It doesn't matter what you turn on, where you go, who you interact with. It's always somebody else's fault. In fact, I found some, some lawsuits. There's a site that says the most crazy lawsuits that are out there that people have filed against companies, blaming them for their situation. And so I thought I'd share a couple of them with you. This one says, Florida woman is suing FedEx for tripping over a package left at her doorstep. This woman ordered something online, got a ship to her house by FedEx, tripped over it going in her front door, not coming out. So she walked up to it and tripped over it, is suing FedEx for a million dollars for pain, suffering, and embarrassment. I would be embarrassed if I tripped over a package that was right in front of where I was walking. We like to blame people. How about this one? Um, woman sues U.S. government over nacho cheese burn. This woman was at a government Air Force base. She went and she ordered some nacho cheese, got the nacho chips, went to the cheese sauce, dipped it out, and was putting the cheese sauce on her nachos and poured it on her finger and then is suing the U.S. government for $95,000. Only in America, right? Crazy. How about this one? Colorado inmate is suing the NFL for $88 billion over the 2015 Cowboys playoff loss where there was the overturned catch where Dez caught it, but they called it a no catch. A prison inmate is suing the NFL for $88 billion. That's a real lawsuit. People are like, pay him. What are you, what is wrong with you guys? <laughs> We're good at blaming, aren't we? 
Man, if the game isn't going our way, it's got to be the ref's fault. Man, if our marriage isn't going well, it's got to be our spouse's fault. Or it's our kid's fault. Heck, it might even be the dog's fault. Finances aren't going well, man. It's, 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 it's our boss's fault. It's the government's fault. It's taxes' fault. Here's the thing with blaming, which comes pretty easy. You don't ever blame your way to a better life. I've never met anybody that has blamed their way to a better life. You might believe to a better life. You may make some decisions towards a better life. But you have never blamed your way to a better life. That's not how life works. In fact, I would say blaming is a lot like burping. You know, when you burp, it relieves some pressure and it feels good. But everybody around you hates you because it stinks. Everybody backs off from that relationship like, hey, it's nice knowing you, right? Like nobody appreciates it, but yet so many of us, we spend our whole lives blaming people, blaming circumstances, blaming situations, blaming parents. Now I want you to think about Joseph. Probably, and I'm just going to throw it out there, if anybody had the right to play the blame game, let's be honest, it was probably Joseph. I mean, he could have never moved forward. He could have never advanced in his life because of all the things that had happened. He could have been like, you know what? I, I've, I've, never, I've never accomplished anything because my brother sold me into slavery. I've never, I've never moved forward because I wasn't felt and I didn't experience love in my home. I, never, I was never able to, to go and fulfill my potential and purpose because of them and what they did to me. And he could have blamed and he could have blamed and he could have blamed. He could have done that and he could have lived there. But listen, when you blame, you never rise. You never will. Why? Because you're shifting responsibility onto somebody else or something else that happened to you. And what's happening is you are keeping yourself from owning things in your life and finding a solution. I read a book a few years back. It's probably the best leadership book I've ever read in my life. It's by a guy named Dr. Henry Cloud. It's called Boundaries for Leaders. And uh, when I was reading this book, I, I, incur- I think it's applicable to every single person's life. But I was reading this book, and there was, there was this quote that he has in this book that just smacked me in the face as, as a leader and as a pastor. And he says, you are ridiculously in charge says, you are ridiculously in charge. Now, Dr. Cloud's a believer, and he would ultimately say that God is ridiculously in charge, but he's not writing to believers. He's just writing to the business community. And he's saying, listen, you are in charge. This isn't a spiritual statement, because what we want to do as as employers or as bosses is we want to blame employees. We want to blame the economy. We want to blame circumstances or situations. We want to blame all kinds of different things. But he says, you're going to move forward faster the moment that you get this idea in your head that you are ridiculously in charge in life. Which means you can't shift blame to somebody else. You've got to take and own the responsibility. Then he goes on to say, he says, in the end, as a leader, you are always going to get a combination of two things. What you create and what you allow. He says you're going to get a combination of one of two things. What you create in life or what you allow. 
Now, I believe that this has application for every single one of us. See, there are situations, there are some things that we're going through that we have created in our lives ourselves, and we've got to own those things. And it's really easy for us to recognize those. But then there are some other situations in life where people have done some things to us, and it's really easy to shift the blame at that moment on that. And he says, no, 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 you can't do that. Because you have played a role in that situation happening in your life. And what he says is, he says, you have played a role by allowing that culture to develop around you that has caused that thing to happen. So what's happened is, is you've had somebody stab you in the back. And he would say, that's your fault because you've allowed the culture to be around you. You decided to have those relationships with people that would turn their back on you and stab you on the back. You have created that culture. And if you want something different in life, you've got to choose your friends differently. You're responsible for that. I know that that isn't a popular statement right there. Like that right there, that's hard. That was hard for me to swallow, but what that made me realize that I had to do is I had to walk in the mirror and look at my situation every day and go, TJ, you are ridiculously in charge of your life. And if you don't like what's happening around you, then you better be responsible to change the culture of what is happening around you. And you don't have to allow those kinds of things and those kind of people around you. You can change that. And I share that with you to encourage you, not to discourage you, because I know some of you guys are going, oh gosh, I'm ridiculously in charge, and my life sucks. <laughs> yes, you are. The good news is, is that's empowering. You are in charge. You can now realize that you have influence, and there are some things that you can do today to take responsibility for your life and stop blaming others and start to move forward in your life. See, I, I know everybody, they're like, well, I want justice, and, and I hear this all the time. And listen, I'm all about justice. I'm all about you going and getting legal justice. Go fight your, your lawsuit, win and get justice. The problem is, is a lot of people get legal justice, but yet they're still allowing that thing to happen to them to affect, affect the inside of them. They're still blaming that situation. They're still blaming that circumstance. They're still blaming that thing on every other situation in their life. And so I would tell you, you need the power of God to get inside of you and change the inside of you so you can stop blaming your circumstances based on your life. Listen, unless you let God get in there and change you inside, you're never going to realize that what's happening inside of you is way more important than what's happening outside of you. What we need to do is we need to go, man, I am responsible, and I'm going to own this, and I'm going to share in what happened and knowledge that I have and a responsibility for it, and I'm going to move forward, and I'm not going to be a victim anymore. See, you may have been victimized, but you don't have to be a victim. Joseph was put in prison, but he did not live as a prisoner. Joseph was falsely accused of sin, but he did not let that become his identity. In life, you're going to have to make a decision and make a call and go, I'm going to be a responsible person in life. I may be a victim on one level, but I'm not going to live as a victim. Because listen to this, in Christ, you're not a victim anymore, you're a victor. 
Listen, in Christ, you may not be the sum total of your mistakes and your circumstances. You're actually an overcomer. In Christ, you aren't just your pain and your past and your failures. You're forgiven and set free. In Christ, you aren't who everybody else says you are. You are who God says you are. In Christ, you have a future. In Christ, you have a a destiny. In Christ, you can be different. So what happened to you? Maybe horrible and unspeakable. And it wasn't Joseph's life. But it doesn't have to affect what's within you. You have to fight that battle within you every single day and allow God to move in your heart and move in your life. Because what happens in you is way more important than what happens to you. So how do you rise up when you want to give up? you got to stop playing the blame game. Number two, you got to build up to breakthrough. you got to build up to the breakthrough. I, I love breakthrough moments in people's lives. I love seeing it when the guy that has overcome so many obstacles all of a sudden breaks through to this miraculous thing. But the problem is, is we don't give a lot of thought to the buildup that got them to that moment. We don't give a lot of thought to the pain that they had to go through in the process to get to the victory. We don't go through a lot of the thought of what it was like as they made their way to that ultimate moment where now we celebrate them. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking about uh, my first record that I got. That's kind of how old I am. My first kind of piece of music was a record. How many of y'all had records in life? How many of you guys still have some records? Yeah, yeah. Well, I got my first record, and I was probably five or six years old. It's like 1984, 1985. My first record was by a band named Twisted Sister. How many of y'all remember Twisted Sister? We got a picture of them right here. Look at that hair. Look at that makeup. Man, it's like they were the jam. I mean, they, they had a hit song. We're not going to take it. We're not going to take it. We're not going to take it. You gotta get the hand motion, everything. I mean, rocking it at six years old to my record player jamming. It's like, what's it, what's it, what's it? yeah, it's all that. I mean, so my first record, and uh, so uh, a couple months ago, Shayla was out speaking at a conference in Boston, and I was by myself, and so I, I, I was watching Netflix late one night, and I saw this documentary on Twisted Sister, which. Just FYI, don't watch, okay? It's foul and terrible. I don't recommend it, but it just intrigued me. I was like, that was my first record. I want to see it. And so it starts off with a scene of Twisted Sister playing in this, like, huge arena in London where they're just, they're jamming out. I mean, people are going crazy. And all of a sudden, it stops. And it goes black. And it says 3,267 shows earlier. And it shows them doing their first concert in this, like, dive bar. You don't think about the build-up to the breakthrough. 3,267 shows before they got to this stadium in London where they did this show. And this is ultimately where, right after this show, they got signed to the record deal. They went uh, worldwide after that. That's where I found them at. But they were playing 3,267 shows before that to get to that moment. You would think after 3,267 shows, they would have been a heck of a lot better, don't you think? 
But there was a buildup to the breakthrough. I think there's a spiritual principle as well. There is a buildup to the breakthrough in your life. Now we read in Joseph's life, we read through some breakthrough moments. It says this in verse 5. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but could it be that right now at your job that God is blessing your employer, that God is blessing your company, that God is blessing the people around you, not because they're awesome or they're great, but because you're there? That, that God's blessing is coming on them because of what you do and how you act and how you work. Just saying. It says all his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. Sounds like a little bit of a breakthrough is happening in Joseph's life. Things have gone from horrible to they're getting better. The buildup to the breakthrough was huge. But what we don't read in the story is the anger that he had to deal with. What we don't read in the story is, is the disappointment in his family members that he had to deal with. He, what we don't read in the story is, is his, his daddy and brother issues that he had to deal with. We don't read about any of that in this story. There's, and, and as much as all that stuff I know had to be in his life, there's no indication that Joseph ever gets up and complains about his life. There's no indication that Joseph wallows in his sorrows. All you see Joseph doing is showing up to whatever place he is and bringing his best self to that moment. I mean, he could have walked around the whole time going, Potiphar, it's all your fault. You bought me as a slave. He could have walked around and gone, man, this system is broken. It's the system's fault. But he doesn't. He could have gotten mad. He could have gotten angry. He could have got upset. He could have looked at all the injustices and just said, I give up. But what you see Joseph doing is building on what he had. Doing what's right in front of him with the best of his ability and everything that he can't do saying, God, I need you to help me. If you want to rise up, even when you want to give up, it happens when you realize that there is a buildup to your breakthrough. And some of you, you want breakthrough in your life right now. Some of you, you're praying earnestly for breakthrough. You're praying for breakthrough when it comes to your finances. You're praying for breakthrough when it comes to your kids and where they're at in life. You're praying for breakthrough in your career. You're praying for breakthrough in your marriage. Listen, until God brings you in such a way to that breakthrough, you might not be ready for the breakthrough. In fact, if you were to have the breakthrough right now, that breakthrough might break you. And so while you're waiting for the breakthrough, what you need to do is you need to allow God to mold you and shape you and transform you into the person that he wants you to be. So when that breakthrough comes, you can handle it and sustain it for the rest of your life. It's the buildup to the breakthrough. And listen, the breakthrough is hard, isn't it? That buildup in that point is, is hard. It's hard when you're facing obstacles in your life. It's hard when people discriminate against you in life based on your race or your income or your education level or where you grew up. It's hard when you face obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. It's hard in those moments. And it may even feel overwhelming, but there is a principle that Joseph teaches us, and I think it's half the battle. In those moments, if you want to see breakthrough in your life, just don't give up. If Joseph teaches us anything, it's don't give up. 
Listen, don't give up when your family kicks you while you're down. Don't give up while people talk bad about you. Don't give up when your friend gets a promotion that you want. Don't give up when you feel overwhelmed. Don't give, give up when you get angry. Don't give up when, when things are not going the way you thought they were going. Don't give up in those moments because there is a buildup to the breakthrough. And for some of you, this is the moment you came to church right here. You need, to, you need to kind of listen in right now. Don't give up. Because if you don't give up, you're going to reap a harvest of blessing. And those aren't my words. Those are God's words. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Let's not get tired of doing good. And listen, I know some of you, you're just so tired. You woke up this morning, you're like, oh, it's so, so tired. I need 17 cups of coffee. <laughs> then you came to church, and you're like, oh, 11 o'clock service. I'm so tired. I needed like two more hours of sleep. I'm just so tired. He said, let's not get tired of doing what's good at just the right time. What time? When's the right time? I don't know. I wish I knew. If it's my time, it'd be like right now. If it's your time, I'm sure it'd be right now. But it's God's time. He's in control. We're not. We're dumb. He's smart. Okay, we got that. It says at just the right time, we will reap, you will reap, a harvest of blessing. How many of y'all want a harvest of blessing? Some of y'all are like, I don't even know what that is, but give me some of that. That word blessing there is God's divine favor. How many of y'all would want some God's divine favor when it comes to your marriage? God's divine favor when it comes to your finances. God's divine favor when it comes to your parenting. God's divine favor when it comes to your career. He says, listen, you can have God's divine favor. And it's not like it's something that might happen. It doesn't say, oh, man, it might happen like God's, oh, man, God, uh, God's tired. He can't do it today. No, it's, it says it will happen. It says we will experience a harvest of blessing, but here's the qualification. If we don't give up. If we don't give up. If you don't quit and you don't check out. I know so many people that have broke faith right before the breakthrough. Don't do it. All that stuff you're going through right now is not meaningless. It's actually purposeful, preparing you for the moment when your breakthrough is coming. Which leads me to our third principle. Be faithful with your little. Be faithful with your little. Verse 6. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Dude, I don't know about y'all, but that sounds like the life. All I got to worry about is where I'm going to order from delivery dudes this week. Living the dream. Says that's all Potiphar, that's all Potiphar worried about. Listen, Joseph could have blamed his family. He could have blamed his situation. He could have blamed Potiphar. But instead, he makes himself indispensable to Potiphar. He says, I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to make the most out of it. I'm going to take whatever opportunity is in front of me, and I'm going to give my very best to that moment, and I'm going to be faithful with whatever God has put in my hand. And because God put influence in Potiphar's house in his hands, he said, man, I'm going to be responsible for it. All of a sudden, Potiphar starts elevating him to second in command. 
Joseph's experiencing some breakthrough. And then the story takes a little bit of a turn because Potiphar's wife starts noticing Joseph. We'll call her Hotifer. And she's like, hey, 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 what's up? Joseph, you're looking fine. She literally says to Joseph, come sleep with me. Desperate Housewives version one right here in the Bible. It's not on ABC. It's in God's word. And the more she persists, he resists. And you really find out who Joseph is. In fact, you look in verse 9. It says, no one here has more authority than I do. He, referring to Potiphar, has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Here's a guy who tons of people have not been faithful to, and yet he is still faithful. When people have been faithless to him. So he does the right thing. And Potiphar's wife gets angry and falsely accuses him, and he ends up in prison for a crime that he did not commit. And what you'll see through Joseph's life in prison is the buildup. It's the same principles that were in Potiphar's house play out in the king's prison. He doesn't blame, he takes responsibility. He goes, I'm going to take responsibility for what I can take responsibility for. He steps into every situation realizing that, man, is a buildup for my breakthrough. And I'm going to be faithful with whatever God has given me. Here's what I know is that some of you, you're out there today and you're praying for more. You're like, God, man, I, I, I need a new job. I want a new job, and man, I want opportunities that I don't currently have. And I would challenge you, while you're pursuing that new job and you're looking for that new job, be faithful with the job that you have. Some of you are going, God, I need more money, man. I need a, more money to provide for my family, and that's a noble thing. And while you're trusting God for him to supply all those needs that you have in your life, be faithful with the money that he's already given you. Get a budget. Live by that budget. Be responsible with your cash flow. I think it's a lot like parenting. As a parent, you go out and you buy your kid a bike and, and you go home and you pull up to your house and you see your kid has thrown your bike that you bought on the road and just it's tore up and it's beat up and it's just not being cared for. Do you want to give your kid another bike? No, you're like, man, you need to be responsible for that bike. Do you think God's any different? He's looking at us as his kids. He's going, man, I've given you this. I've given you that. I want to see you responsible with the little before I give you the more. And some of you, you want more influence. You want more impact. Some of you single people, you, you think, man, I just want a spouse. I'll be happy if I'm married. Wrong. <laughs> Here's what you need to do. You need to be faithful in your singleness to become the best single person you possibly can so that everybody that else that is single goes, hey, you know, what's up? How do you rise up when you want to give up? Don't play the blame game, but take responsibility and realize that you are ridiculously in charge. 
use those situations and those circumstances and realize that there is a buildup. There's that process to your breakthrough. And be faithful with the little that God has given you. And there's a story that illustrates this better than any other. This gentleman was born into a one-room room house that was 16 by 18 in 1809. In 1816, he was forced out of his home, and he had to work to support his family. In 1818, his mother died when he was nine years old. In 1831, he failed in business. In 1832, he ran for state legislature and lost. In 1832, he also lost his job. He wanted to go to law school, and then he got rejected for that. In 1833, he borrowed some money from a friend to begin a business. And by the end of that year was bankrupt and spent the next 17 years repaying that debt. In 1835, he was engaged to be married, but his sweetheart died right before their wedding. In 1836, he had a total nervous breakdown and was in bread for six months. In 1838, he sought to become speaker of the state legislature and was defeated. In 1840, he sought to become the elector and was defeated. In 1843, he ran for Congress and lost. In 1849, he sought the job of land officer in his home state and was rejected. In 1854, he ran for Senate of the United States and lost. In 1856, he sought the vice presidential nomination at his party's national convention and got less than 100 votes. In 1858, he ran for the U.S. Senate again, and again, he lost. At what point do you give up in life, right? But in 1860, Abraham Lincoln became the president of the United States. Listen, don't quit. Don't give up. The buildup was brutal, but the breakthrough was beautiful. And because of that buildup, he knew what it was to go through difficult times, and he was able to lead our country through one of the most difficult times we ever faced, the Civil War. In fact, right before he went to Washington, he penned these words. He goes, I now leave not knowing when or whether I may return to a task before me greater than that which rested upon Washington. Without the assistance of the, that divine being who ever attended him, I cannot succeed. With that assistance, I cannot fail. He said, without God's assistance, I can't succeed. But with him, I cannot fail. Some of you are going through some moments and it feels like failure after failure after failure and you've been going through it by yourself. Maybe today's the day you need to cross the line of faith and, and take God up on some of his assistance. Maybe today's the day that you need to recognize that there is a buildup to your breakthrough and that the process you're in is just leading you to a place where God is going to do the measurably more in your life. But you've got to be faithful right where you are. Don't blame your circumstances, but realize that you're ridiculously in charge and see God do what only he can do. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with us?